0: You know, you know, whether you push an old lady uh, in front of a bus or help her across the road, you could argue that in an atheist universe, these actions are meaningless. They have no objective or real moral quality. They're just things we project onto them, and what you project onto them is no more authoritative than what someone else might project onto them. So I, I knew that I lived in a morally meaningless universe. The problem was I, I, I couldn't live without moral meaning. And I knew some things were absolutely wrong, some things were evil, but I did not have a metaphysic that could support that kind of ethic. So when I became a Christian, it was suddenly the lights tricked on and it's like, oh yeah, this is the reason why I believe evil exists. Uh, This is the reason why I believe in good. This is why people look up the stars and kind of, you know, wonder uh, about things divine or heavenly. Uh, A whole bunch of things made sense.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining me today. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. Whether or not you're an atheist or a Christian or something else, you have a view of reality. For most of us, we've typically caught our view of the world rather than taught it. Just like the coronavirus, we're constantly exposed to different ideas even when we don't or even can't recognize or escape them. We hear and see messages from movies and music and news media and social media, sometimes obvious, sometimes much more subtle. We tend to absorb messages without questioning, without really thinking about it. Messages slip in the back door and tell us how to think, what is true, and we believe it. Unfortunately, in our polarized culture, we often believe the negative stereotypes of the other side without really listening to what that side really is or what that other person really thinks. Guarding our own position will do. Sitting down with another person is, well, too personal, too demanding, and perhaps too vulnerable. It's easier to build a straw man and knock it down than to really engage with the ideas and the people who believe them. It's easier to construct stereotypes and caricatures and dismiss without consideration. But what if we are dismissing something before we even give it a chance? What if we are missing something? Something that actually answers life's biggest questions in a way that is good and true and life-giving? What if, just what if we actually listen without shutting down and turning off? We might be amazed at what we find. That's why I love this story that we'll be listening to today. It's the story of someone who had listened to the messages of culture, readily stereotyped and dismissed Christians as totally irrelevant, and yet today finds himself on the other side because he took the time to figure out what Christianity really was and who Jesus really is. Michael Bird was a former atheist, but is now a Christian. He is a brilliant academic who writes and speaks in the areas of theology and apologetics. Welcome to the Side B podcast, Mike.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: So, um, as we're getting started, Mike, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, your academic background, and, and what you do right now, and then we'll we'll start at the beginning of your story.
0: Okay, well, I am Michael Bird. I am the academic dean and lecturer in theology at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. I've lived pretty much most of my life in Australia, uh, growing up mostly in Brisbane, although I've done a few stints uh, in different places around Australia. And I also lived in Scotland for a number of years. I am also married to my wonderful wife, Naomi, and together we have four children. I've graduated from Mountion College in Brisbane and the University of Queensland, where I did my doctorate on Jesus and the origins of the Gentile mission. I've written edited around about, uh, I think, 30 or so books on the early church, Jesus, the New Testament, theology, Christian thought probably most well-known for uh, a book, uh, The New Testament in Its World, which I co-wrote with Tom Wright, and a textbook called Evangelical Theology. Uh, so that, that, in a, a nutshell, is where I am and who I am.
1: It's quite impressive, I must say. that the context for us in terms of um, the world you grew up in and, and the way that they looked at religion and, and Christianity?
0: Yeah, Australia is a very peculiar country uh, on the religious front. Uh, We we were founded or settled, this is, you know, obviously after, beside the sort of local indigenous population. Uh, We were settled largely as a penal colony uh, for the British, largely after another colony decided they no longer wanted to be in league with Britain, which I think would be your own uh, America. So, uh, you know, for roughly 200 years, Australia's been settled, and it's never really been known for having a strong or very big religious commitment. And when Australia became federated as its own country in 1900, it was created to be a deliberately secular. So Australia is a sort of a multicultural, secular country. And, and it's interesting. It's different to America in many regards. We have more Buddhists than we have Baptists. Oh. For an for an, for an interesting statistic, uh, the largest denominations are first of all Catholic, then Pentecostal, and then Third Anglican. Uh, only about I think maybe ten to fifteen percent of Australians would be involved in a, with a church. And on a regular basis, and if you're going for like a real sort of core religious devotion who attend church regularly, you're looking at maybe 5% of the population. Uh, someone once said uh, that religion in Australia uh, is something of a private affair. Australians like the idea of other people being religious. You know, they, they like the, other, the idea of other people being religious, but they don't like the idea of having to do it themselves. So we do have a, a somewhat adversarial context. In fact, on, on some global indices, Australia doesn't have large amounts of government coercion in religion, but we do have a high rate of social hostility towards religion. And that can express itself in Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, and in attacks on uh, churches. Uh, I'm an Anglican priest, and I've worn won my clerical attire in downtown Melbourne only twice, and both times I've been attacked, once verbally, once physically. So it can be a somewhat adversarial context. Someone once described a uh, religion in Australia for most people, or most Australians kind of have, um, float on a, on a on a sea of apathy with a thin veneer of hostility, which is probably the, the best way to describe what religion is like in Australia.
1: So talk with me then about the context of religion in your home and in your community growing up.
0: Yeah, I I grew up in a fairly secular household in suburban Brisbane where religion was pretty much a non-entity. We didn't go to church. No one was particularly devout. uh, There was no real religion. I think my father, my stepfather rather, had some sort of, Connection with his mother, who I think was a, was Catholic or perhaps uh, Orthodox. Uh, I don't know for certain. Uh, my mother would really verbally abuse Jehovah's Witnesses if they ever came to the door. Uh, yeah. she, was, she was not particularly uh, interested or in any sort of religious conversation, just to be quite adversarial. I mean, g- growing up, I mean, you know, I had a little bit of, you know, religious education at school. Uh, which you know, my mother just sent me off to you know Church of England. because That's vaguely what she felt connected with since we were from the United Kingdom. There was the odd TV show, uh, but pretty much growing up, the uh, the only sort of religious influence I have was from watching Ned Flanders on the TV sitcom The Simpsons. That was pretty much the amount of my education in Christianity, which meant most of what I understood and saw of it was based more on caricature. Um, or reputation than actual substance or actually knowing any Christians. I didn't really know any Christians. And it, everything I thought and believed them was, was largely based on this cultural caricature that I would see in various places.
1: So the stereotype is is what you saw, and that wasn't a very positive image of Christianity.
0: No, so... no. Yeah, that's right. It was, it was definitely sort of negative. People had a very determinist, a very was like, you know, yeah, you know, God said so. So I believe it. That sells it, and a, a kind of blind faith, and willing to do things that were irrational and immoral in the name of God.
1: So there really wasn't much in your world that gave any kind of a positive image of Christianity at all. You didn't know anyone personally. There was very little little in the culture of lived or embodied Christianity. So the only thing that you were getting is from, I guess, a little bit of religious education at school and the negative messaging from from culture. Hmm. So it painted a fairly negative portrait for you. Nothing appealing about it, I presume. Nothing worth consideration. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, There was was no sort of uh, initial enticement. Uh, You know, I didn't really read uh, the Bible. Uh, You know, I I may have seen the odd, I mean, like at 5 a.m. if I got up early enough, there may have been some sort of Christian Broadcasting Network cartoon, you know, the odd maybe Easter Day parade, something like that. There may be some vague suggestion of, of Christianity there, but for the most part, it was simply a non entity in in the world I, I grew up in and inhabited.
1: So it was totally just irrelevant. It was off the radar in a sense, or if if it came across the radar, it wasn't pretty.
0: Yep, that's correct. That's correct.
1: So so, and I and I presume the same for your friends and. Um, anyone around you, that it it was just off the radar, uh, just not a consideration. Yeah, that's right.
0: I I mean, out of all of my friends, none of them were religious. None of them went to church. You know, we never discussed things about the nature of reality or God or the hereafter or who was Jesus. It was was definitely the case where religion was simply a non-entity.
1: So you grew up that way through school, and despite whatever religious education you had, um, did in religious education, did they talk about Christianity at all?
0: Oh, they did. They did. You would normally have the equivalent of a local school's um, Sunday school teacher would come and teach us, and we'd we'd sing a few songs, things like you know, "Rock My Soul on the Bosom of Abraham," uh, which was fun. I you know, didn't mind that when you're like you know, you know six, seven, or eight, you have this you know one hour of singing some funky songs. A little bit of a Bible story, of which was mostly, I think, more moralisms than anything else. It's not like we were being taken through the Nicene Creed or anything. It was not terribly theological.
1: Mike, as you were graduating and finishing high school, were there was there anything at that point, that pivotal point in your life where you were, you were thinking about what was ahead? Or were there any religious touch points there?
0: Yeah, you know what? In hindsight, there was one. there was one. Now, I have to say, um, for me, high school was a miserable experience. Uh, I had a, a very difficult home life. Uh, you know my I had a parents who were going through addiction issues and and mental health issues, and it was a really miserable time. I didn't have too many friends. I was okay academically, got bullied a lot. Uh, girls didn't really like me uh, in in any sense. And it, it was it was a difficult time, so I, I, I was I was very eager to leave, and uh, I've never been back to a high school reunion. Uh, but uh, the last day of high school was weird, and it, it was weird because we had this like graduation speech. It wasn't like a like a big American graduation. It was just a little bit more low key. Uh, but it, it was a weird day. They brought out like three different speakers. And one was a local businessman who was you know, explaining how he got his restaurant up and going. And we also had a, a wonderful um, doctor come in. And then the local Baptist pastor gets get up. And I thought, oh, man, could this be any worse? And he went up and gave you know, a few things you can't do and, and you shouldn't do with your life. But he did say something uh, which did lodge in my mind. And uh, uh, years later, I would recall it. And, I, again, I don't know why it stuck because at the time it was just it was just water off a duck's back at the time. He said the most important decision you'll ever make is whether you choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. And he, he said it with such pathos. He said it with real conviction. Now, at the time, I just said, okay, fine, whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't mean anything. But, but I remember his words. And I, I remember that day vividly. And it wasn't until I went back, actually, you know, as I would do later on down the track visited a church, eventually those words were recalled to me, you know. Um, I, don't, I don't remember a lot of what happened to me in high school. I mean, I don't remember anything about trigonometry or algebra. I have got some basic typing skills, but that is literally it. Besides typing, I got nothing good out of high school, just that and a lot of bad memories. But I remember that Baptist pastor's words, that the greatest decision you'll ever make is whether you choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ, and years later, a few years later, that did resonate with me, and I'd have to say the the man was right.
1: So, religion to you at that time it was it was a class in school, perhaps a few moral precepts, uh, but was it what was religion? Was it just something that p- people needed or that people made up? Uh, what did you think religion
0: was religion was something that other people did that i didn't need and i didn't really understand what it was about so it it was something something i hadn't given to be honest a, a lot of thought about um it was just it was just it was it was like you know some people like ice hockey it was kind of like at that level you know, that's what other people do when I'm not other people. So it was, it was of no interest and concern to me. And I'd only had very limited exposures to certain aspects of it or its messaging.
1: So it was just something curious, a hobby that people did, but that was about it. So, so you're going through high school and you graduate from high school. And, and uh, what, what's next on your journey?
0: Well, number one was to get away from my parents. My, my mother and stepfather were quite uh, dysfunctional in their relationships. They both had some addiction issues. Home was not a terribly pleasant place for me. Uh, living with them was you know, spasmodically abusive in several different ways. Problem was I, I couldn't go off to college or university because my grades weren't that good. I was, I was basically a, a like a B student. Uh, i i got good uh, good marks but for fairly easy subjects which you know doesn't work out well when you're calculating your your, your score to go into university and th- that was difficult so I, I couldn't go off and do a, a course on psychology or criminology like i was hoping to do i, I could have maybe have maybe have done something like meat works inspection or whole horticulture at a regional university for like you know farming or something but that had you know no real no no real interest in me so the the next option was to go and join the australian army uh you know which which was an odd decision since i was certainly not built to be a soldier you know when i was 17 i weighed about 47 kilos which is you know about 140 150 pounds and so so joining the army going through the training was was physically mentally emotionally quite draining and quite taxing on a on a strawny 17-year-old, but that, that's, that's what I went off and then, then did next.
1: I'd like to pause from our story, then take a moment to tell you about another podcast from the CS Lewis Institute called Questions That Matter with Randy Newman. Every two weeks, Randy has a fascinating conversation with one of today's Christian faith leaders. And he talks with his guests about a wide range of discipleship topics from evangelism to growing in faith to talking about their recent books. You can find and listen to questions that matter by going to org forward slash podcast categories. Now back to our podcast. So what was your experience like in the army? I guess that didn't or did it bring you any closer to God, or, or along your journey, or did it push you farther away? Oh no, I think
0: I think it, it did draw me a little bit closer uh, in, in several ways. It, it it gave me a distraction. It it helped me develop physically, mentally, and emotionally into to fully mature from like an adolescent into you know, a proper adult. We would say so. It was good in my personal development. And when you're part of the army, they do have chaplains and those chaplains are more often than not a very good pastoral source. They're there to help and advocate on behalf of the soldiers and the airmen and women and, and naval personnel and the like. So I'd, I'd go along to a chapel once a week because we all had to go. So that's what we all did. And you, you spend a few days with the chaplains doing things like character formation and, and you got like a, a few snippets of Christian faith. That wasn't too bad, but there was nothing particularly like a lightning bolt. It was just a few few snippets or a few sort of, you know, uh, appearances of their faith, but there was nothing that really rocked my world or or shook me in any way. But I I did mention it and I did come across some genuine Christian uh, people. And it was when I got to my first unit, I mean, I ended up becoming, of all things, a paratrooper as my first sort of posting. I did meet some Christians there who I worked with, and and one of whom invited me along to church. And yeah, I, I went along. I was kind of bored because, you know, pretty much all I was doing was you know working hard during the day, then just going out with guys at night to to a pub or a nightclub, and and I was getting I was getting pretty bored and sick and tired of that. So I thought I'd just just do anything. And so I got invited to go along to church, and yeah, just out of curiosity and boredom, I, I went along. And, you know, uh, you know, I was expecting this church to be filled with a bunch of moralizing geriatrics, sort of people who were worried that somewhere, somehow, someone was smiling, and I went along to this <laughs> church, and uh, it was nothing like that. They, they weren't a bunch of senile, moralizing geriatrics. Uh, They were just very nice, normal people. They were, you know, school teachers, mums, dads, kids, teenagers, uh, accountants, plumbers, secretaries, and the like. And uh, I got to know some of them. They were very, very kind and nice to me, and they, they opened themselves up to me, opened up their homes to me. I got to know them, and I realized there was something different about them, something very different. And it wasn't just that they were nice people with good manners. Uh, there was something truly different about them. The different was uh, they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I kept going along to this church, and eventually I heard uh, the gospel message uh, that, that God sent Jesus to be our reconciler. He died on the cross for my sins, and he rose from the dead. And he offers us eternal life in a place with his family, and in uh, nineteen ninety four, I prayed to receive Christ, and the world was a different place after that, and has been ever since.
1: What do you mean by that? The world has been a different place.
0: I, I guess for me, the um, things things changed in my life. I, I had a, I had more joy uh, in my life. I was less sort of somber and melancholic, so I had a, a new sense of profound joy. Uh, another thing I had is I just felt myself alive in a new way. There were, there were also certain habits um, uh, I won't go into, but uh, there were certain things, certain desires in my life changed. There were certain things I no longer desired, so I had, I had a reordering of my desires, so there was a change on on that ground, and I felt myself drawn to doing things I would not otherwise have normally done like uh reading the bible i i had i i I developed an insatiable hunger to read the bible and know more about it and uh to go to god and then my own church did the morning service i didn't have an evening service so i went to a different church for the evening service and and that type of a thing Uh, i was very comfortable talking about my faith and and what i believed and i enjoyed i even started doing on my own my own initiative a little bit of sort of lay apologetics and that type of thing, and it, so it, it was kind of you know it was that wonderful joy and glow of new life uh, that I that I think I was experiencing.
1: It sounds like it was quite a transformation. You you mentioned that you started reading the Bible. What I, I guess had you ever read the Bible before uh, that time in your life? What did you think that the Bible was? What it what did you find that that perhaps was unexpected, or was you know, I, it more than you thought it would be, I
0: guess? Yeah, well, it, it certainly was far more than I thought it would be. I mean, I I didn't grow up with people quoting the Bible. I mean, you hear the odd reference to it here and there. Um, if anything, I may have got a little bit of vi- a Bible via, like, Shakespeare or something like that. But, you know, I, I did not grow up in a home, a school, a family, a culture where the Bible is frequently quoted and mentioned, and it's a, it's a culture where it's very easy to be biblically illiterate and to not even know that you're illiterate and that kind of thing. So reading the Bible, for me, was a brand new adventure. There was all these things here, and I remember, you know, um, yeah, the first time I read the Gospel of John, I mean, that was a, an amazing experience, looking at this, you know, uh, Jesus, um, the God-man who promised us, as us uh, eternal life reading Paul's letter to the Romans for the first time these are all very very important and eye-opening things that that, that, that kind of cause these these various um if you like lights in your in your in, in your spiritual life to suddenly flicker on and you become thinking and, and reflecting okay what does it mean to live a life of holiness what does it mean to obey the Lord Jesus how do I be a a, a good Christian that type of a thing so, reading the Bible was a profound experience, and it and, and took me a while. Like, initially, I would read a bit, but then as, as I kept reading more and more and more, I got a real big hunger for it. And I really enjoyed learning uh, about what was in there, and, and I enjoyed the sermons, and I enjoyed the, the, the reflection, and uh, being able to understand and uh, what was going on. I enjoyed attending Bible study, I enjoyed being discipled by a, a very, very um, lovely young pastor. So it was it was a real good time of 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 I think of like initial warmth, hunger, and growth in the Christian faith.
1: Hmm. That sounds wonderful. I'd like to back up for just a moment because as I'm sitting here thinking that you went to church and you were expecting a rather senile version of Ned Flanders, uh, to be there. And that's not what you found. You found a a group of warm and loving people that were quite different qualitatively in their life. And it was attractive. Um, there was something that drew you in, you understood the gospel and it, it obviously felt true or rang true enough to you that you accepted as, as true as an atheist moving into that you obviously were open to what you were you were finding. You were actually surprised. Perhaps maybe your stereotypes were broken down and you found something good. But there's a difference, I guess, between, wow, this is good. And these people seemed good. And the message seems good. and And it being substantively true, you know, more than just a story. It is a story. There are a lot of religious stories. But what is it about? christianity i mean as an atheist moving into that and and it sounds like you moved towards christianity quite quickly did you have any doubts were you scratching your head saying this sounds good but is it too good to be true is it like historically true did those questions come into your
0: mind yeah they they did they did a bit probably on the, the two ways. I would say that the first thing was becoming a Christian. It allowed things in my world to suddenly make sense. Now, I I, I kind of recognized if there was no God, then ultimately we were living in a nihilistic universe, and that everything about human life was, um, mean, ethics was I wouldn't have used this language at the time, but ethics without God or something transcendent is just a game with words. And it is, is, uh, is, is quite uh, meaningless and it's just something we, we pretend we pretend that certain things are wrong. You know, you know, whether you push an old lady uh, in front of a bus or help her across the road, you could argue that in an atheist universe these actions are meaningless. They have no objective or real moral quality, they're just things we project onto them, and what you project onto them is no more authoritative than what someone else might project onto them. So I I knew that I lived in a morally meaningless universe. The problem was I, I, I couldn't live without moral meaning, and I knew some things were absolutely wrong, some things were evil, but I did not have a metaphysic that could support that kind of ethic. So when I became a Christian, it was suddenly the lights tricked on, and... It's like, oh, yeah, this is the reason why I believe evil exists. Uh, This is the reason why I believe in good. This is why people look up the stars and kind of, you know, wonder uh, about things divine or heavenly. Uh, A whole bunch of things made sense. In terms of, uh, and that that was kind of the more transcendental aspect of, of how believing in God Allowed me to make sense of the world. I experienced it rather than this sort of, you know, this sort of fragmented way I experienced things, uh, of which um, atheism or unbelief uh, was just something you had to put up with and just live with the uh, the contradiction of having a morally meaningless world but believing in that things are morally meaningful. Uh, on the other side, the question was who was Jesus, and I became convinced fairly quickly that he was, uh, wasn't was just a religious teacher, he wasn't myth, he wasn't legend. It was a real historical person. I, I I read on that a little bit and I was convinced. Also began watching a few William Lane Craig debates around the same time and that had a very profound effect on me too. Uh, William Lane Craig was a brilliant communicator, brilliant defender of the faith, um, you know, I think early in my faith, I actually wrote to him um, when he was when he, uh, back in the, I think, mid-1990s, and he kindly wrote back to me. And that, that was that was very encouraging. So I got into a little bit of apologetic stuff around that same time, you know, reading the usual class, classics, you know, More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict and a bit of R.C. Sproul, a bit of this, bit of that. Atheism makes great boasts. Boats makes great boasts. I should say it makes great boasts, uh, like Ozymandias in, in in that in that poem. Uh, but it doesn't really deliver. Um, you know, it, it claims to have the master story of the universe, but it's a fairly bleak and sad view of the universe, and one that didn't actually make sense of my experience as a human being.
1: So it sounds like existentially, morally. And even intellectually, the pieces were starting to come together so that you could make sense of life in a very holistic way, rather than, like you say, just trying to make sense from fragments of things within atheism that, that couldn't provide that sense of cohesion um, in terms of making sense of your morality and and your your desire for meaning and purpose and and yeah, that, that's,
0: that, that's exactly right and, and it was like there was a whole um it's, it's, it's kind of like you know being in a room where all the lights are off and then one by one all the lights begin to flicker on and you suddenly see the pattern you suddenly see what's around you and your environment begins to make sense uh so it, and it that that's just basically how it was and it, it's it it you know, it's remained that way pretty much ever since. My, my world makes a lot more sense to me now as a Christian than it ever did before.
1: Uh, so, Mike, you started, it sounds like you started developing a thinking faith and that you started pursuing apologetics. Can you talk about what apologetics is for those who are listening who have no idea what that term means?
0: Yep, apologetics is the defence of the Christian faith against uh, criticism, whether that's coming from uh, atheists, uh, Muslims, or anyone who, who says it ain't necessarily so. There is no God, or Jesus is is not God, or anything like that. Uh, I I mean, I I like I did like a discipleship course with, with my with my pastor, and you know, we went through all sorts of things. You know, um, you know what is the Bible? Um, who is Jesus? and all sorts, of, all sorts of questions like that, and, and I got really interested in that, and, and, and the good thing was the pastor I was with, he could see that I was, I was getting into the more, um, you know, intellectual side of things, and, and he really supported me and encouraged me in that. In fact, um, after two years of being at that church and being a very well disciple, uh, I was a, it was time for me to move on to a different posting in uh, northern Australia, and as a going away present, uh, the pastor gave me a copy of Millard Erickson's Christian Theology, uh, which I thought was quite, uh, quite, quite, quite. Uh, How do you call it? Um, a kind of foreshadowing of of the direction I was you know, soon to go into. So I, I devoured Erickson's uh, Christian Theology. It was a, a very good little textbook introducing me into into you know systematic theology or Christian thought. And that was terrific. And then when I moved to Townsville in Northern Australia, I attended another really good church with a, another really great group of pastors. And they had one chap there um, who was a Southern Baptist pastor from Georgia. Uh, he was from uh, Griffin, and uh, he helped pastor the church and run like a little theological colleges and annex to the church. And I got into more theological education while I was there. You know, I took courses on 1 1 Corinthians, On uh, basic Christian beliefs and that type of thing. And I learned more from that. And that's when I decided I wanted to leave the army and go to theological college. You know, maybe with a view to becoming an army chaplain or maybe, you know, maybe doing something like, you know, becoming a seminary professor. Eventually, uh, I did end up doing a bit of theological education and, and really craving more.
1: I'd like to pause for a moment and ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the Side B podcast or find these stories helpful, would you please leave us a review and rating wherever you download these episodes? Your feedback helps other people find these stories, and we genuinely appreciate your support. Now back to our story. It sounds like you you really found something very rich worth studying, and you also f- from a B student, it sounds like also that you really moved towards a very strong intellectual bent. Towards- oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I, 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 I did have a kind of natural um, a sort of a, a, a writing ability, which I had a little bit in high school. It never got refined or polished, but I did have a kind of writing ability. Uh, so, and when I moved out of uh, infantry and went into military intelligence, I was then in a in an environment where you're having to take in a lot of information, process it, and then write reports and give oral presentations to very important people, and that helped refine my uh, abilities all the more. So, after you know a, a few years of that, I think I was really ready to to start tertiary study. Uh, I, I, I was, I was disciplined, uh, I was motivated and I, I think, you know, a, a, a uh, sort of a gifting was beginning to open up, uh, in my, in my ability to, you know, uh, study, um, and explain, uh, the Bible and, and Christian thought.
1: It sounds like you've moved very far from your perceived caricaturing of christian faith as ned flanders you are no ned flanders you are (laughs) very very far from that the people that you met broke down your stereotypes and then you've become something someone extremely respectable intellectually that you understand the grounding for your faith that you live in a way that is um, that makes christianity plausible and um, complex in a good way. It's a very rich. It sounds like you have a fullness of life that makes sense uh, from every perspective. You've, you've come a very long way um, to the point where I guess you've invested your life in the Christian worldview and not only knowing more and more about it, but also teaching it. You said you're a, a college professor and a writer?
0: Yeah yeah uh, yeah, I, I've pretty much you know, committed myself uh, everything to this, you know, to the uh, the advance of of the gospel, the building up of the church, uh, proclaiming uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I've enjoyed the many institutions I've taught at at the Highland Theological College, the Brisbane School of Theology, and now more recently at Ridley College.
1: That's quite a life transformation, I must say. As we're thinking about your life and and really the insights and perspectives that you've gained in moving from atheism to Christianity, knowing what it's like as an atheist and and thinking very little of the Christian faith, but now finding that it's it really is everything to you, what if you could speak to the non-believer or perhaps a curious skeptic who's listening, um, what would you want to say to them?
0: I would say you know don't rely on the caricatures you have received around you for what Christianity is about. Now that can be that can be very different in different places in the world. If you you know if you're somewhere like or maybe like where you are in Georgia where you know th- there is certainly a very strong history and culture of Christianity. But in many ways, it can be at the level of the culture, that type of a thing. And it, it, it can easy to assume there's, there's a certain hypocrisy. But if you actually meet genuine Christians, people who, are, who know their Christian faith and who are earnestly committed to it, I think you'll discover that they are far more different than what you've assumed about them or what you've been told about them. And it, it, can, it can lead to many, I, mean, I think, pleasant, wonderful and astounding surprises when you see Christian faith not as a, uh, a political tool, not something of, uh, of cultural conditioning, but of real conviction, of real spiritual depth and richness. If you meet those kind of people, they certainly will transform everything you believe uh, about Christian faith about who is God and importantly who is Jesus
1: I think that's that's good advice it's it's always good to to look into what you really don't understand to take another look to pull back the layers a little bit and and see if your presumptions are right or mistaken I think you were actually willing to do that when you were willing to actually even go to a church service, which I think probably a lot of people wouldn't do, you know, but you were actually willing to, to actually take a look and, and, uh, and you found something very different than what you expected. I think that's really great advice, um, to, to Christians or believers, perhaps, uh, in addressing, or engaging with those who who really don't understand Christianity, or perhaps perceive Christianity in a a very caricatured way, Um, how would you encourage Christians to live in this very secularized uh, culture that we have today?
0: I think the number one thing I would say is, if you're going to make a difference, you need to be different. Uh, and you, you, you can't simply imitate uh, the culture or the worst of the culture around you. Uh, if you are different in your disposition, your attitude, your joy, the things that you the things that you run from and the things that you run to, if you can embody the, the, the story of Jesus Christ in your own relationships, people around you will notice. Uh, and, they, and, and they may not tell you they notice, but they they will notice. Um, or authentic, the authentic living out of Christian faith is one of the best uh, apologetic strategies that you can provide. You may not be a world-class debater like a William Lane Craig. You may not be a, a biblical scholar. You may not have the answer to everyone's question. Um, but if you can show that you know, Jesus really does make a difference in your life and in how you treat other people, I think that will speak volumes to the people around and even those who may not believe with you will at least respect you for your your conviction and your Christ likeness.
1: Excellent excellent. Mike this has been such a pleasure to have you on this the IB podcast to hear your story. Uh, it's it's been intriguing and interesting and and really quite wonderful to hear from someone who's made quite a leap of uh, Quite a change in your journey. I I do wonder as a last question those around you In your in your life in your world your friends and family Once once you became a Christian How was that accepted was it did anyone push back? Oh, yeah, yeah, my, my
0: my parents did not take the news well, you know, When I told them i have been going to church. It was like, but church? I mean, they, they, they did not respond particularly well, and they just kind of, you know, they just thought it was a phase I was going through, you know, a kind of a, you know, like, you know, if you change sporting teams or, or something, they thought it was just a phase that I was going through. Uh, but it's a phase that's been going on now well for... um. Uh, well over twenty, well over twenty years, I have to say, mm-hmm. some um, yeah twenty twenty five years, uh, I would have to say, uh, so that they were quite negative and quite abrupt, and yeah, that, that they could even be quite, um, particularly my mother could be quite uh, condescending and malicious about it, which was disappointing. Uh, some of my immediate friends were a little bit weirded out, but they just okay, you know, fair enough, I came like. That's, that's who Mike is now and and uh, who he is and what he does so yeah that that was kind of it it was, it was a little bit difficult but I, I'd also established a whole bunch of new friends I mean the other thing is being in the army you kind of have to pick up and move every few years anyway so I was able to make you know, new friends largely through the churches I, I you know visited in my various travels
1: mmm very good. Yeah, it's, it's hard. You can't predict how people around you will respond, but obviously uh, it was worth it. Whatever that you found was worth it. The, I guess the, the disappointment around you, you know, the, but hopefully they can see, as you encouraged Christians to be embodied, that they can see that the difference was worth it. Yeah. And that they that they even though like you say they may not say anything they they certainly notice. Yeah. So, thank you again, Mike, for being part of the the show, and and I just appreciate your your time and your coming on, and uh, we loved having you on. Okay,
0: well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. All blessings to you and your listeners.
1: Thanks for listening to the B podcast to hear Mike's story. You can hear more from Mike by looking at his books, his blogs, and his Twitter account, all of which I've included in the episode notes. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at thesidebpodcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoy it, subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time, where we'll be listening to The Other Side.